This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Come on, give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise. Glory. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. You know, as you watch that video, one thing, one theme that just kept coming back over and over again from the testimonies was young people that came to CLC were raised in CLC, have been a part of the family of CLC. They were trained here. Uh, They maybe got into the Southeastern University program uh, here. And uh, they just began to find their gifts in their anointing. And God began to use them. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them are on staff serving your children, the young people uh, of our church. And they just kept saying, thank you. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for all that you've done because your giving, I heard them say over and over, has made a difference in my life and they're gonna touch many, many more lives because of what God has already done in their life. Man, we just give God praise. I'm a pastor, they said, I'm a staff member. They said, your giving changed my life. And I'm telling you, that was so powerful. I hear missionaries come and they tell those kinds of things of what your giving is doing around the world. But I think it's good for us to pause and look back and see the heart for the house and what God is doing right here with our kids, our youth, in our city. CLC, you are just so faithful. And I just want to say thank you as your senior pastor. I am so excited for what the Lord is doing. Psalm 71 verse 8 says, my mouth is filled with your praise and I declare your splendor all day long. Today, that's what we're doing. We're celebrating what God has done this last year. Let's say it together one more time. I love my church. Turn to your neighbor, say, I love this church. I hope that's true for you. Hey, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about a resilient faith. A resilient faith. We're talking about the next generation. Our project this year is to focus in on the next generation by by developing training uh, materials, developing their worship, uh, their worship sanctuary. We're focusing on it on all of our campuses. So every campus has a different focus on the next generation. And I want to share with you why this is important. It really comes back to two words. Say two words. And that is a resilient faith. Say it with me. Resilient faith. You see, why are we focusing on the next generation like we are? Why are we coming and we're saying, hey, we need your help. It's because we need to continue and more effectively to build within our young people a resilient faith. Father, as I pause, I do it, Lord, just to yield to you. Though the hour may be late, I pray that we will lean in to this message. I pray, God, that you will build a conviction within our heart 
of a mandate that's before us. The divine mandate. It's our mission. It's what you've called us to do, and that's to make disciples, to be messengers of hope. And Father, now we're focusing into a very specific part of our congregation and a part of our community. And I pray that you'll show us how all of us can develop a resilient faith. Take your word, it's anointed, and speak to us. And all God's people said, a lot has changed in the last 20 years. For those of you that can remember, a lot has changed. Cell phones were only just beginning to become popular 20 years ago. Social media was not yet the number one topic of conversation. Newspapers and magazines were still going strong. In 1999, the internet would be what we would call skinny. It was new. Some of you looked at that video and said, Pastor, you were skinny on that video. I know what you were thinking. Someone over there. I mean, you talk about deflating my spirit before I preach. I had a board member text me from one of our other campuses that says, who is that young man picking up that brick with one hand? You know, I said, now it'll take me two to pick it up. Just wait, you're coming. But in 1999, the internet was just beginning to grow. It had many possibilities, but we didn't know yet how to use it. Most of the websites that we know and use today weren't even thought of in 1999. Google had just become a thing earlier that year. Today, you can talk on your phone, you can be on the internet, you can be scrolling social media on your iPad, you can be talking on your phone and watching television all at the same time. In 1999, if you wanted to get on the internet, you had to wait for someone to get off the phone. If you remember, if you wanted to send an email, you had to dial in to a, to a service that made this noise. Can you make it with me? How many remember those days? You notice the young people aren't raising their hands. They don't know what I'm talking about. You no longer have to worry about breathing secondhand smoke in the restaurants. You would go to a restaurant and you would say, no smoking, please. A no smoking section, right? And you just prayed you didn't get the seat right next to the smoking section. In 1999, you could still take a flight and smoke on your flight. I remember going to Hungary as a new missionary and I had a non-smoking seat, but the seat in front of me was a smoking seat and he didn't stop for 12 hours. One after another. I mean... Things are saying so much. In 1999, 2000, you couldn't rent movies off of Amazon Prime. Instead, you had to go to a place called Blockbusters. For our young people, let me tell you what that was. That was a place that you would go and you would hope, if you wanted to watch a movie on Friday or Saturday, you would hope that it was still on the shelf. You, you remember? Okay, because I know I'm in a Pentecostal church. You don't watch movies. So I, I, 
I didn't know if you knew what I was talking about, but you would go to Blockbuster and you would wait in line to get a movie off the shelf or you would stay at the counter because she would say it should be coming back at any moment. Now, Americans spend more in bars and restaurants than they do grocery stores. Now, you can't go on vacation and totally disconnect and take a break. Cell phones are more common now that even toddlers have them. You probably have a bigger fear of mass shooting and road rage shooting than you did 20 years ago. Oh, do you remember this? If you even had a cell phone, there was something called roaming. Are you having fun? You no longer have to memorize anybody's uh, uh, phone number. Now you don't leave voicemails, you send a text message. Now everybody has a smartphone. Uh, uh, now you have to take your shoes off if you don't have TSA to fly on a plane. Now there's something called... I don't know what this is, but there's something called online dating. How many know what that is? I hear some of my staff know what it is. Online dating. You have the option to watch television now without commercials. And now you can take photos with your cell phone and not this old camera that you would take it out and then go and give it to Walgreens or someone to get it developed. Can we say together, so much has changed. Now think about what will the world be like in 20 years from now? I mean, we don't know. But what I do know is that as parents and as a church, we have a responsibility to prepare the next generation for the world that they will face. You and I have navigated it and we're navigating it, but we must help them to learn how to navigate it. We have to help them learn how to wrestle with what will become so important to them in that day, and that is how do they live their faith? in the midst of all the change and, and all the secularism and pagan evil of the day, how do they stand strong and be resilient? Believe it or not, times have been worse than what we face today. I want you to go to the book of Daniel. That's going to be our text today. In the book of Daniel, we're going to look at a young man and, and several young individuals our guest speaker last week, I asked her to start us in the book of Daniel. And I'm going to continue over the next couple of weeks to look here. The backdrop of this book is that it's around 605 B.C. Jerusalem is about to be invaded. They're going to be invaded because God is going to allow it, the scripture says, very clearly. The reason is, is because Judaism, their faith has morally and spiritually gotten bankrupt. And back over in Deuteronomy, I don't have time to talk about it, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29, and 30, it talks about the blessings of God. And if we have a covenant with God, and if we walk in obedience with God, that we will walk in the blessings of God. But 
the scriptures were very clear that the blessings of God are not automatically poured out on God's people. God is not a robot, and he's not just mechanically throwing out his blessings to you and I, his people, at will. No, he says that his blessings come to those that walk in obedience. And if his people did not walk in, in obedience, and in fact they were disobedient and they disobeyed the covenant and the commands and the relationship that God wanted them to have with him, that there would not be blessings, but there would actually be a curse. I know we don't like to hear that, but that's what God told his people. And so in the final warnings in Deuteronomy of Moses, he's saying to the Israelites, I'm about to pass, I'm old, I'm, I'm about to go and be with the Lord. And he was trying to stir the heart of the people. And the heart of the people, because they had turned away from God, he was trying to stir their heart to say, renew your covenant with God. Rededicate your life to the Lord. Recommit yourself to that relationship and that covenant and begin to obey him again. But Israel forgot God. Morally and spiritually, they were bankrupt. And so God had to get their attention. You see, sometimes what we're walking through is God getting our attention. Why? Because we're not walking in obedience and we're, not, and we're not attuned and we're not coming into alignment. And so God's going to allow the Babylonians to invade and to capture and to rule them. That's the backdrop. Here we are. Look with me in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 1, I'm going to read from the Living Bible. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem to besiege it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of, uh, of Babylonia and placed them in the treasury in the house of his God. Then the king ordered a Penes, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So they've been conquered in Jerusalem. They're going now to Babylon as, 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 as captives. They've been, they've been captured. Select only the strong, the healthy, and the good-looking young men. So pause for a moment. King Nebuchadnezzar is taking the best and the brightest. He's separating them from their families. What was the plan? Was to brainwash them. What was the plan? Was to assimilate them into the culture. What he did was he spread them out all over, all over Egypt and Babylon. He would spread them out so that they could not come together and, and, and create a coup or, or create an uprising. And so he would spread them around. And, and it goes on to say that he said, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, make sure that they're well-versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted with knowledge and good judgment. They're suited to serve the royal palace of King Nebuchadnezzar. Train these young men in the language. See, they had to learn the language. And the literature, the writings of the Babylonians. 
the king assigned to them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. And they were to be trained for three years and then they would enter royal service. So he says, I want them to learn the language. I want them to learn the culture. Now, you have to understand Babylon is a very evil pagan society. The king would kill babies, uh, Jewish babies especially, by throwing them against the rocks. Babylon was deep in the occult, in the demonic influences. If we had to say, what was its state religion? It was satanic. The core curriculum was astrology and occult practices. You see, the Babylonian game plan or their world plan was to seduce these young men and women to seduce their souls, their mind, their will, and their emotions. So King Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, biblically is a typology of the enemy of your soul. Let me say it again. King Nebuchadnezzar is an Old Testament typology of the enemy of your soul. King Nebuchadnezzar set the law, what was right or wrong. He set what was truth. Truth was relative and not absolute. They would declare what the truth was and it would come off of their experience. Most of all, King Nebuchadnezzar, when you read through the book of Daniel, he wanted to be worshipped. Again, it's a typology of the enemy of your soul. The plan was to begin to change the thinking of these young people that were captured. They would change their thinking, first of all, by beginning to change their name to get them uh, isolated and and, and separated from from everything that they knew. And so uh, the goal was to change their thinking so that they would secondly begin to change their worship, their loyalty. You see, the battle is always a battle for our heart. Can I say amen, amen, amen? Know it, know it, know it. The battle is always a battle for the heart and that is who will we worship? Who will we be loyal to? And then he was changing their their lifestyle, the way of living. Now listen to me today. Some of you here listening uh, to this message in the room, online, you've got to recognize that the enemy of your soul is doing everything he can to change your thinking, to change and steal the, the loyalty of your heart and your worship and to get your lifestyle to be one that blends in with the culture and that no longer do you stand with the convictions and who you are as a child of God, but to get you to blend in and we must become aware of it. Can I hear an amen? In verse 3, if we go back to it, it says that these young men of Judah were of a royal family. They were of royalty and other noble families. Now, that just kind of stuck out to me. We might be living right now in a new Babylon. And right now, we might be in a place where things are different. But I'm telling you, we are of a royal bloodline. And that bloodline is the bloodline of Jesus Christ. 
They were of a royal bloodline and Nebuchadnezzar was trying to steal their love, steal their affection, steal their loyalty, change them and get them to assimilate into the culture so that they would no longer identify with their bloodline. And that is what the enemy of, the, of, of, of our young people is trying to do. The enemy of their soul is trying to steal what we have been working to build into them. And that's a royal bloodline with the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are royalty, that what Jesus did for them on the cross, he takes away the sin that God wants to do something within them, but the enemy is fighting that. Why is this something that we gotta be passionate about is because there is an enemy that's out to steal, kill, destroy. It's trying to take them out of the very thing that is in them as children of God, and that's the royalty of the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Why are we asking to help us in our heart for the house this year is because we want to do more and we believe there is much more that we can do. We want to have a greater impact on the next generation and we want to build within them a resilient faith that helps them in their Babylon. Babylon for them is different than it was for you, than it was for Daniel, but it's still their Babylon and what they will face, our young people in the next 20 years, we can't even imagine yet what that's going to be. But what I do know is that they must have a resilient faith. So what does it require to have a resilient faith? First of all, in Daniel, it shows us that it requires determination. And you and our young people, we've got to build a determination within them. Look at verse eight. Verse eight says this. Verse eight, do we have verse eight? Verse eight says, but Daniel was determined. Say determined. He was determined not to defile himself. Let me say it again, maybe turn, I know it's, it, it should be on that screen, but the determination, Daniel was determined not to defile himself. That determination is that, that there was something within him, a, a grit, a, a, a confidence, a, a, a stick to itness, a, a steadfastness, a I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna endure, I'm going to trust, regardless of the pressure of what's happening around me, I am determined. Determined what? That I will not defile myself that I won't be polluted, I won't be contaminated, I, I won't let my soul be corrupted. How? By the affections of the pagan world, of, of the Babylonian country that's all around. You see, when you read through the book of Daniel, what you see here is a story of these teenagers, these teenagers that are taken into captivity and Nebuchadnezzar as they invaded uh, the Babylonians, the land of Israel, and, and they capture them, they destroy their temple, they take away all of these sacred things to the, their own temple, to their own God. And now he's making them learn the language and the culture and the ethics and the religion of the land. He's trying to steal the loyalty of their heart to Yahweh, the one and only God. And he's doing everything he can to steal it. And yet you see Daniel. 
You see Daniel and his friends that had a determination, that they were determined that nothing, nothing was going to stop them. There was a loyalty in their heart. They drew a line in the sand and they said, we're not going to compromise. It may cost us our lives, but we're not going to compromise. We're not gonna compromise our commitment. See, Daniel is an example for all of us but it's a challenge to our young people, to our pastors that are training our young people. It's a challenge to every one of us parents that have young people that we may be tempted to compromise our commitment to the Lord, but because of a loyalty to God, there rises up within us a radical obedience, a radical obedience that says, I refuse to compromise. In spite of the cost, I refuse to compromise. I refuse to conform. Even when I'm afraid, I refuse to conform. Man, when we see what God did in Daniel, man, there's hope for you and I that we can have that kind of determination. Resilient faith requires determination. Parents, it's our responsibility. You're, you're primarily responsible. I want you to hear that. You are primarily responsible to build resilient faith. The church comes along and helps you as believers. For unbelievers, they don't, they don't know their responsibility. They're not, they're not living out their responsibility. But as the church and as believers, we have the primary responsibility to raise up our children in the ways that they should go. It's not the youth pastor's fault. It's not the children's pastor's fault. It's not the church's fault. The church partners with you. And man, I'm thankful for a church like Christian Life Center. I mean, we have, we have four pastors and, and, and individuals that are working in the next generation area of our church as that's their primary focus. That's what they do is to work with you as parents, with your children and your young people and the young adults of our church. And what we're striving to do is to build within them a determination. Because what I've come to know is that my voice as a parent is a key voice, but it cannot be the only voice. I need other spiritual leaders that speak in. I need others that will lay hands on them and see the gifts within them and call those gifts out. I need revival services where an evangelist will stop and all of a sudden lay his hands on one of our young people or call young people forward and begin to prophesy over them because something starts to get into their spirit and it's called a determination, a, a commitment, an obedience, a radical faith that gets into their spirit that comes along next to what you're doing. I mean, I've gone to great extents to keep my kids in youth camps, to take them to revivals. I mean, when we were missionaries in Europe, we drove ourselves 15 hours to take our son to a youth camp because we didn't have a youth camp in English where we were because we knew what youth camp would do for their life. And man, all you got to do is drive across town and put them on a bus. I'm telling you, we've got, I'm, I'm, I know that's my sarcasm, but the reality is that we've got to make sure that it happens because that's what builds determination within them. 
Man, when they go to youth camp and they get into the altars and, and they're soaking in the altar and they're praying and they're worshiping, God begins to move in their midst and their lives begin to be transformed and God begins to do a work in their life. Now, they're young people. They're still gonna come home and play video games and we're still gonna get upset about it. We're still gonna try to stop them. They're still gonna talk back to you. They're, they're still not gonna do their chores. Can I just hear amen in the house? Just because they, they, they aren't doing those things doesn't mean that they're not trying to live for God and they're not sanctified. We just gotta keep working. We gotta keep speaking. Mama, you gotta keep praying. You gotta keep saying, not in my house. No, you're not gonna do that. No, that's not gonna weigh. You just keep loving and leading and guiding and building within them a determination. Now in our house, our kids will tell you, you didn't have a choice to go to church. That bathroom, that shower you got into, I paid the bill for that shower. That food, I paid the bill for that food. That mortgage, I paid the bill for that mortgage. You know, if they came home from college, all their friends were told, all their friends, and boy, they'd break the rules and they'd try to sneak out early in the morning so they didn't have to go to church. But if you're sleeping here Saturday night, tomorrow you're going to church. You're, you're just going to church tomorrow. And man, it was hard. They would try to bucket and get out of it. But we have the primary responsibility. And that consistency over and over and over builds within them a determination. Resilient faith secondly requires it requires determination. But secondly, I know they popped it up earlier for you. It requires convictions. We got so many screens up here. They said, Pastor, you don't know how many screens we're trying to run. Online screen, this screen, that screen. Okay, what's point number two? Convictions. Daniel and his friends wrestled with what we have to wrestle with. And that is a, they wrestled with where's the line when it comes to blending in to culture and not compromising our conviction? Where's the line that gets drawn? And for me, it comes back to that word conviction. If we don't know what our convictions are, we don't have a line. Too many believers today don't have convictions with lines in their life. And therefore, it flows over to their children. Established, our whole SGC, Spiritual Growth Campaign, was about building convictions about what we think, how we're going to act, and what we're going to be as followers of Christ. For you and I, parents, uh, uh, we... We are the ones that, that help our, our children begin to develop those convictions in their heart. They might be in Babylon right now. They might be living in a world that's so different. They might feel the pressure to compromise or, or to give in. They might feel like they're at the mercy of the culture that's around them. But I believe that we can help them build strength in their faith and convictions in their faith. 
As young people are leaving the church because they said their faith was shallow or, or because they didn't know how to integrate their faith into culture and, and they didn't know how to blend that or maybe the church was too legalistic on them and when they made a mistake, the church turned on them. All these reasons are why young people would leave the church but you and I are a place that we can help them to come. We can create an environment where they can learn to love and serve but most of all, know who God is. Think like God act like Christ, walk in Christ, live for Christ, experience the power of Christ, that's what we get to build within them. Every week in the building next door, if you're in person, is our kids and our youth programming. They're having their services right now as I'm preaching and sharing, they're preaching and sharing. As we're worshiping, they're worshiping. Yeah, it might be a little bit different than when you grew up, but that's why I wanted to remind you, things have changed. And we've got to capture them and help them where they're at right now as best as we can because there's a world around them that's trying to influence them. And what I see in Daniel is even though there was a world around him trying to influence him, he still stood in his convictions. And in his convictions, it held him when the pressures begin to come at him. So my prayer is that we continue as a church and as a, as a family, we continue to say, God, help us to build godly convictions into our young people. Can I get an agreement? That we will stand, that, that we will refuse to submit to the things of the world, the gods of this world, that we will choose that even though there's all this that's happening around, that in the end, we know what we believe and in whom we believe, and we stand upon that. Give him praise. So resilient faith requires determination. It requires convictions. Now, again, before I go to the third thought as we finish, is convictions are deep within the heart and they're experienced. They're things that we know that we know that we are not going to compromise on. That when young people go off to college, they know that they know that they may not find another church like CLC, but they know what they believe and they're going to stand in those convictions. Statistics tell us that we don't reach young people by the time they're 18 years old. The chances are less than 10% that they'll give their lives to the Lord when they're adults. If we don't reach them by the time they're 30 years old, it drops as low as 4% will not commit their lives to the Lord. Conviction. Biblical convictions flow from, from who we are. They flow from things that we catch and we learn by being around godly models, godly examples. They, they flow from those models, those pastors, those leaders, those rural ranger commanders and girls club leaders and, and volunteers and all of the different ministries. It flows from godly models. Biblical convictions flow when we can help our children learn and carefully study and, and regularly engage the Bible in their life. It's called Bible engagement. 
This next year, we're going to talk a lot more about Bible engagement because it's the number one thing that builds convictions within the heart. The more we're engaging with the word, the deeper the convictions will go. And thirdly, convictions are confirmed by experiencing God. Getting in worship services, in times of worship like we've had today, getting in revivals, going off to camps, getting in these, in these moments where the Holy Spirit can just begin to move. Convictions are confirmed. A resilient faith thirdly takes determination, convictions, and then thirdly, courage. Say courage. Courage is the ability to do something that frightens me, but yet I do it anyway. I, I push past my fear. I might have fear. It's not the absence of fear, but I move in spite of my fear. It's overcoming my doubt and my fear. When we're called to be a lighthouse in the midst of a, of a dark and, and, a, and a dying world, to be light in the middle of darkness, courage drives me out of that be a light, to be a witness, to be an example. It's courage that drives me. It's, it's courage not to go with the crowd. It's courage to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not going to do that. It takes courage. It takes courage that's built out of my convictions, that are built out of a determination that says, I'm going to love the Lord and serve the Lord and walk with the Lord and walk in obedience with the Lord. What I love about this story as I finish today, is it says in verse 17 that God gave these four young men an, an unusual aptitude for understanding. God blessed them in literature and wisdom, and he gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. It goes on to say that when the training was finished, they entered in to the royal staff of King Nebuchadnezzar and the king would talk to them and it says he was he was more impressed with Daniel and his three friends than anyone else whenever the king consulted them in any matter it said he found them 10 times more capable than all of the others that he was consulting you see i believe that as we build this resilient faith in the next generation Determination, convictions, and courage. That's what God's going to do for our children and for us as believers in the Lord. Today, we've introduced to you, and it's been a day of celebration, but we've also introduced to you that our projects this year, what we call Heart for the House, are on the back of this card that you were given when you came into the building today. Today is not about taking an offering. You may want to give an offering today, but today is not about giving the offering today. Today is about celebrating, but introducing to you what our Heart for the House project is this next year. We've said that primarily for the Fort Lauderdale campus, we're going to be focusing on our renovation of our Family Life Center. 
That's where the children's ministry meets, the youth ministry meets, our SEU, uh, Southeastern University offices are there. Our PPA school meets there with 150 families uh, uh, day after day. They, they come into that building. We're going to renovate that, and, and uh, we're not going to be able to do everything, but m- most of the most important items are on this card. Now, what I've learned in moments like this is what I call the power of us. The power of we, when we catch a vision together and together we can say, God, this is what we're going to do. We're able to accomplish the vision. Year after year after year, I've brought to you the Heart for the House projects. And every year, one of my primary things that I say to the staff as we start praying and looking and and determining what are the projects for this next year is whatever we're going to do. If the, if the congregation connects with us and, and they agree together with us, we've got to get it done. We're going to do it. We're going to get it done. And this year, it's going to be renovating many items and areas in our Family Life Center. So today, I want you to take this card. And this week, would you begin to pray? Would you begin to ask the Lord, what would he have you to do? If we all do our part, I believe that we'll reach our goal. Our goal is $85,000. That's actually a low goal. A few years ago, we gave $140,000 in our heart for the house. But this was our projects this year. This is, this is what's before us. And so I presented what we have. Next week, we'll have an opportunity to give an offering. Next week, will you come prepared to do what God would have you to do? Father... I thank you. As we look into the book of Daniel today, it reminds us that Daniel and his friends had a resilient faith. And God, I pray that you'll help us to develop a faith that's resilient. And not only us, but for our children, our youth, our young adults, that, Father, they will build a resilient faith. It takes determination, it takes convictions, and it takes courage. Help our ministry, help our our family devotions, help our lives. Build those three elements, determination, convictions, and courage. Say it with me, determination, convictions, and courage. God, give us a resilient faith. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be more effective, that we'll make a greater impact. I wrote our next-gen team yesterday after watching the video, and I said, could you imagine? Could you imagine if we go from 400 kids to 1,000 kids every weekend? Could you imagine? Could you imagine if we go from 250 youth to 500 youth every weekend? Could you imagine if we go from 150 young adults to over 300 young adults this next year? Could you imagine if we go from 300 teens and youth being mentored in the schools and after school programs every week to over 500 every week. Father, I believe that you're calling us. You're giving us vision. 
You're raising up a staff. You're raising up individuals and workers and leaders that are passionate about that. God, we need to build within everyone that we reach a resilient faith. Father, we need them to grow in determination and convictions and courage. And I pray that you'll help us. You'll help us as parents. You'll help us as young adults to live that out. You'll help us as single moms and dads to raise our children with a resilient faith. The world is doing everything it can to erode our faith. God, I pray that you'll give us strength as a church and strength as families to develop a resilient faith. As for me and my house, let us declare it. We will serve the Lord. Give us that resilient faith, I pray, God. God, I pray that it'll be more than just a ritual, passionately worshiping, pursuing you, touching you, loving you, walking together with others growing in our gifts and, and, and serving you with passion. And Father, you've given us a message, a message of hope, and it's too good to keep to ourselves. We share it everywhere, especially among the next generation. Help us volunteer. Help us to serve. Help us to do our part. Next week, God, I pray that when we, when we, when we take the offering, the big give, for heart for the house. Yeah, it seems like it's things for the building, but no, it's not just for a building. It's for the lives that we're touching, for the young people and the youth and the children and the families in the school. Father, I pray that you will bless us and we'll reach our goals. A resilient faith. That's my prayer. In your name I pray. Amen, and amen, and amen. I want you to stand. Let's sing this before we close and declare the glory of the Lord. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening, and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.